and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guests on the show are Molly King, the Head of Development at Other Voices Festival, and Sam McNichol, who runs Connolly's Alep. Uh, it was a live podcast recording, live interview, I suppose, that was recorded for the podcast is a more factual way of saying it. Live podcast is a bit of an oxymoron, I think. But it was recorded live upstairs at the Roundy last weekend as part of Quarter Block Party. It's currently Friday. I've had some time to reflect on the weekend. I thought it was a brilliant weekend. Quarter Block Party does it again. This is the fourth edition of the festival and... Perhaps it wasn't as big as previous years, but it certainly seemed more confident. I thought that some of the shows that I I had seen were just really, really good. The programming was really strong. There was a real sense of discovery, no more so than Pow Pig at 4 p.m. on on Saturday upstairs at the Roundy, who were my highlight of the weekend, I think. They're they're this... uh, teenage band from Limerick and they just play really upbeat pop punk type of stuff and they filled out the venue. No mean feat in the middle of a Saturday afternoon but they were just so good. The vibes in there were great and the vibes all over the weekend were really really good. It was a mix of dance, acoustic music uh, hard rock music I got to see O Emperor you know kind of reveal their groovy side First time seeing a whimper, or possibly second, I think I saw them at, um, supporting Beck at the Mardike, no, not not at the Mardike, that'd be a good gig though, Uh, live at the Marquee a couple of years ago, so I think it was my second time seeing a whimper, but my first time really seeing them properly, you know, um, I saw Percolator for the first time, who blew my mind, and lots and lots of other really good stuff, the No Encore podcast, uh, was recording after mine, so mine was early on Saturday afternoon upstairs at the Roundy and no encore followed. So here's the chat that we had with Molly and Sam. It was really, really interesting. Um, I could have chatted to them for about two hours, an hour each. Uh, I had so many questions that I could have asked them, but I knew that there was limited time. So it kind of left me wanting more. Hopefully it'll leave you wanting more as well. But first and foremost, I suppose, I hope that you enjoy the chat. Um... Yeah, we'll, we'll get into everything with them. Thanks again to Quarter and Quarter Block Party and the organizers for asking me to do the podcast. I really, really enjoyed it. Hopefully, there'll be more down the line to come. Uh, but yeah, here's Molly King and Sam McNichol chatting about all things Irish music. Welcome to the Point of Everything podcast. That was the, the introduction music. Uh Upstairs at the Roundy, and thanks to Quarter Block Party uh, for having uh, the point of everything, and thanks to Molly King and Sam McNichol for being on the panel. Molly is Head of Development at Other Voices, and Sam runs Connolly's of Lep, a much vaunted venue in West Cork. Uh, and we're just going to be chatting for 40-ish minutes before the No Encore podcast takes to the stage and does their thing with Dahi over here, who's my sound guy for the... <laughs> for the podcast so uh yeah quarter block party um i know that you guys are just kind of arriving now but i feel like it's just this really good festival of like really good vibes on the street and just really good people and i feel like it's kind of what you guys do at your own thing like with other voices when i went there for the first and only time in 2017 i was thinking oh this is kind of like 
quarter block party. It's just loads and it's loads of people. Something like 10,000 people or something went to other voices. Depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> what um, do you say? Uh, we say anywhere between, it was approximately six and a half, seven and a half thousand people. Oh, okay. Yeah, so under 10, I would say. But it depends on who you ask. There's a moustached man going around somewhere with... <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, it's really difficult to tell, actually, how many people come to other voices because it's not ticketed. So we don't have... I mean, we did registrations for the first time last year that were free. Um, but between, like, local people and people who travel in from, like, Tralee and out that way and people who come in who don't register, it's all very kind of in and out. So it's really hard, actually, to quantify how many people come in. But it's, it's kind of boomed in the last two years so we're gonna to have to start counting more people <laughs> um quarter block party this is its fourth edition of the festival and it does feel like it's kind of grown really organically and kind of just in in small stages and it's like everyone just seems to be on the same page mm -hmm. now like both audience and uh performer it, and like other voices is something as well that just seems to have grown really organically like over a much longer period it's like four times as long that it's going i think it was its 16th edition but are you kind of aware of just like doing it in like you can't go from like say the first edition to like the 16th straight away it has to be like a really yeah like incremental yeah i mean how do you how do you do that how do you plan like from 2016 going into 2017 just getting that that next level well uh, other voices is is fairly atypical because it it was never supposed to be a festival so it was always a, it was it started as a tv show um and so it didn't get created with the motivation to become a festival at all. It was just a TV show in a like 80 capacity church that then people started to come down to and it started to become kind of a gathering informally. And then as it grew, we kind of had to start spreading our wings a little bit because there was an audience and we wanted to kind of accommodate them and do something more. So like we, we never started out with a strategy. I mean, I wouldn't have because I was nine. Um, but, um, but like, I, there wasn't a strategy to make it a festival at the beginning. Um, but year on, year on year, like, as you say, it's just the changes can feel so small. And it's only when you look back over the last, say, five years that you see a huge difference. But it's, it's always stays this, the, the things that are important that are important stay the same. Like you have a sound audience, you respect them, you treat them well. The music we put on is of really high quality. You maintain all these small, intimate venues. You respect the place. Um, it's as much about the location as anything else. Um, you keep your crew the same, and you value them, and they're your family. So, like, it's all of those things, and it's I'd say quarter block, and Sam would understand that really well. It's just it's just about like, kind of love and respect at the end of the day. Um, yeah, so kind of it kind of moves itself. It has its own kind of trajectory now. So we just have to look after it. Really, you think that yeah. it kind of lives on, like, as its own thing now? Well, uh, let's put it this way. So uh, we finished, we did, Other Voices happened the first weekend of December. And Monday morning after we had finished, the whole town had booked out for the following year. And nobody knows if we're going to be back there or not. We don't know if we're going to be back there oh, or really? not. Really? You know, because like, we have to secure funding every year. We're not for profit. You know, we have to seek sponsorship. All those things are very much dependent on us finding those that support year on year. But we have this audience who I feel like they'd come to Dingle even if we weren't like yeah. if we were like, <laughs> it's cancelled. And I feel like maybe they would just show up anyway. Like they they don't even know what dates it's gonna be on, but they assume it's the first weekend in December. So it kind of has this 
momentum behind it. Well, you're like solely responsible for like the biggest talking point of uh, Other Voices 2017, which was the Hillgrove nightclub, the biggest, <laughs> the biggest dance floor in Munster. <laughs> You did an interview with Nyler Nines, How Music Works in the Irish Times. Like, that was everybody was talking about that all weekend. Like when I did that interview, I was kind of being funny, which, <laughs> which, like I was chatting to Niall on the phone, and I was like, "Well, it's the biggest dance floor in Munster." It's it is really big now. I, in the back of my mind somewhere, I had a memory of it being the biggest dance floor in Munster, but I can't tell anymore if that's real or not. That was because you were so, nine years old at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything like, looks massive. It's like ingrained in my brain. So I just said it and I was kind of like, oh, but then he put it in the paper and I heard so many people say it, like all the way through the weekend, they're like, yeah, it's the biggest dance floor in Munster. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it is really big. So hopefully it actually is the biggest dance floor in Munster. I don't One know. One of the biggest. It's, yeah. Yeah, like I'm gonna have to measure the damn thing, but it is huge. Like, uh, so Sam, like, can you relate to the stuff that Molly is saying there about kind of growing incrementally and kind of having the right vibes and everything? Just like Connolly's uh, was open from was it 1979? Um, well, I mean, my mom grew up there, but um, dad started putting music on like late eight, like mid 80s. So I mean, my brother was born in Dublin, but then he they moved down. So my brother is what 32 now. So, I mean, I can relate to Molly, not as much. I mean, because it's like Connolly's was, was gone. Like, it was literally done. Like, it was over, you know. So, In 2000 and... Yeah, 2006, uh, they closed. So it was like, I mean, they closed. It was just like a bang in the, in the middle of the recession, you know. I think my parents, like, their energy had, like, dwindled towards the, towards the venue. I mean, my dad was just getting older. I think the heyday was, like, the 90s, really, in Connolly's. And that's, like, what... That's how it, like cemented itself into like I guess the psyche of the Irish music industry or whatever you know so I mean like we've talked a fair bit like we're, we're good friends and it's like I, I there's so many parallels and so many similarities but it's like very different as well you know it's like I guess you're kind of like continuing the journey whereas like I chose to like go back over like the path that had been like grown over with like weeds and you know you know, and like have to actually like refine, refine the path, I guess, you know, it's like, it was very much like a resurrection rather than like, here's the keys to like daddy's business. Do you know what I mean? I, I literally had to take the place apart. Like we had to take everything down and like we had to put it back together, you know? So it wasn't as much of a, like, I'm not, yeah. I mean, there's, so there's a lot of parallels there, you know, but I mean, it is all about love and respect. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And working your tits off. <laughs> Who, whose idea was it to like reopen Connolly's was it yours or was it your mum's? And if it was yours, was your mum like, don't do it, Sam? I mean, my mum's like ridiculous. She's just like, I could I could tell her I want to do anything. And she's like, all right. You know, she's like, she's amazing. I don't know. Um, I think she was just like kind of a bit like how the hell are you going to bring people back here, you know? And then once start, people started coming, like a lot of people, she was just like, okay, well, you know, you proved me wrong, basically. I mean, my parents didn't have the internet. Do you know what I mean? 2006 it was like that wasn't there you know it was like you, there was no like my they used to pay the same amount for um advertising per month as like the mortgage do you know what i mean it was like mm. you had to it was physical press you know we physically had to put things in like the irish times and hot press magazine and like the southern star the evening echo and it was like physical ads that you it was like print media was like a very expensive uh, expensive outlay for like a rural venue i mean lots of great bands were coming but it was really hard to let people know you know and i mean we're very lucky and i think we take for granted nowadays like the ability to find out what's on and when 
you know and i mean i think that the like music trail what what you guys it's essentially a can of worms that you've opened really because it's like there was that feeling there this year where where i was at other voices and it was like it'll never be the same again it's just like almost like it's like ripped through space and time or something that it's just like everyone was there like actually everyone you know it was, yeah. which is amazing i love it it's like it's like a success story you know and it's like i think it's like it re, it's really beautiful i thought it was a few or like four or five years ago when we were going it felt like an industry meetup mm -hmm. it was like a weekend mm -hmm. off before christmas and it was like there was other pub owners and they were like the madness was coming or like i was just i would go down to meet like other musicians and stuff and now it was just like there's punters there i thought it was really cool like yeah, really it really cool yeah. used, everyone used to refer to it as like the music industry christmas party <laughs> exactly yeah hot toddies um, yeah, yeah yeah for sure because it, it was i think it was seen as a little bit of a or kind of like a closed shop even though that's not what we had intended it was just like a lot of industry pals would come down um and because obviously the church was so small we weren't offering any other performances so like it was very limited and we hadn't started streaming the church into other venues so it was almost like people would come down try and get into the church and have points and that was it was very much limited by the capacity of one venue um, so technology is a huge part of what's changed for us as well. Massive, like, yeah. So the streaming is, is insane. Like I can't, I wouldn't have imagined that we would stream live into all, into like banners or pubs or whatever. And you turn around and see like, so people are sitting down watching it. Like they're like shushing like, each other. They're like, shh, like, we're watching the fucking telly. You get shushed. It's just like, what? Yeah. It's I mean, the quality is actually ridiculous. Though, it is, well, no, to it's be bonkers. fair. It's like you're in the like, church. Right? And that was intentional, but I, I still sometimes feel surprised by it like walking through banners and then just seeing like you know the breakfast room has been completely redone so it's just like full of people and it's it's like a whole other thing now so we've it's like we've kind of tried to extend the audience outside of the church um because exclusivity is not something we're particularly interested in even though we like small spaces but you don't want it to feel like there's 80 people in there and you can never get in there like you want to yeah you were you telling me to you told me something really interesting last week mm. where it was like you were, you you couldn't like go into town because like people would be like haunting you for tickets, almost like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell tell us about that. That's for like twenty eighteen festival. We used, to, <laughs> we, we used to we used to sell tickets or or we'd send them for like a nominal amount of money. Or we did physical tickets and ugh, the way the way it worked was that we would allot a certain amount of them and they'd be sold from St James's Church in Dingle in like September or something. And I can't remember the, I can't actually remember the amount, maybe Juno does, um, but our whole family would just stay like in Ventry and not go into town because it was so stressful. Like it's impossible to get everyone into the church and people would queue up outside it for hours and then the first 10 people would get tickets and then our first 20 people would get tickets and then it would be major drama because you couldn't go into town that day. Haunting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, haunted town. But no, it's, we just give them all away now. It's just easier. So what's what's your uh, role at Fair. Other Voices? It's it's head of development. What does that mm. entail? Um, well, still kind of working that out. Um, <laughs> I uh, want to do this now. Yeah. Um, well, I've only been in the role for about six months, so um, I think it's just was kind of a natural culmination of all the bits and bobs that I was doing for the Voices over the years. Um, so the idea, obviously, is to develop to develop it. Whether that's the Dingo Festival and add on different elements like After Dark. Was something that I'd been wanting to do and planning for a couple of years um, to try and do like a big club event or just like put on electronic music because we don't program a lot of electronic music ourselves. Um, so that was something I was really interested in. Um, so that's a good example of just say, just say 
like uh, trying to diversify what we offer, but to keep the ethos the same, which is a kind of a fine line to balance. Um, and then just like developing into different cities. Um, the, we redesigned the, all the logo and stuff three years ago. Um, and that was kind of my my project. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just kind of keeping it moving forward so we don't stagnate. Because um, it's really, it's been going for 16 years. Like it's really easy to get comfortable in all of your routines. How you make the TV show, what does it look like? What does the brand look like? What are the audience? Um, are we, you know, what's the demographic like? Are we offering stuff for younger and older people? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, it's multifaceted, but it's what I've always wanted to do anyway, you know? Um, Sam, it sounds like that's something similar that Connolly's is doing at the moment. You're doing the architecture uh, competition to kind of redesign the venue and also like just looking for funding and everything. Do you kind of feel like Connolly's has come so far, but we do need to take it to like the new stage of like in 2018? Yeah, I mean, there's like, yeah, you, I mean, when you stop moving forward, you just start dying, really, don't you? Like in everything that you do, it's like you, you got to you, you like you have to stay hungry and kind of like like. Um, I don't know, challenge yourself. I mean, like, I don't even feel like I started. I It was, like, my sole idea to, like, reopen Connolly's. Like, I, I was traveling in Australia, and I, I decided to come home. And I came back, and mom had, like, been renting the room out to some guy that was just, like, putting shows on. And it was all for charity. It was, like, they were literally giving, like, 100% of the door to charity. I mean, tonight we're doing a, a fundraiser for Pieta House uh, for, like, just because, like, it's amazing work that they do. And it's, like, the same, you know, same thing. Like, the door will go to the to the charity, and it's, like... I don't know, I came home and there was loads of people in the house and I was just like, it just felt really good. And I didn't have anything to do with it. I actually just came back and mom was like, oh, there's some guy. And it was like Mick Flannery and like Brian Deedy and like they're all play like they're playing in the gaff. And I was just like, this is amazing. I was like, we should just do this again. And then like, if I'd known how hard it was going to be, I definitely wouldn't have done it. <laughs> like I, I actually just would have like went back to Australia and like, you know, got my old job as a barista in a fucking cafe. Like, you know, I literally would have done that. Like, it was so, it nearly killed me. It was so hard. Like, has it actually been a lot more work than you envisaged? So you, much did more. Did you think, like, like, like. Even, be even before you opened, even before you opened the door, I remember, like, you were kind of in court yeah. try trying to get the yeah, drinks like license. Years, but, yeah. like, yeah, for that was a couple of years yeah. ago. But like, since then, were you like, I'll be fine now. It'll kind of run itself. Or are yeah, you just kind of like, oh, my God, it's Yeah, there's been so many smashed illusions. Like, you know, I mean, I went from the being on the dole to, like, being in, like, 21,000 euros debt to, like, a fucking barrister. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? That's before I'd even, like, made a penny. Like, I was in this, like, hole looking out of, like, this pinhole of light, just trying to smile at everyone when they came through, being like, spend money. <laughs> 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 Please spend money. You, you, ju <laughs> like, you just want to play no water? Yeah, yeah. I was just like, really? Shit, I have a lot of friends on the guest list. <laughs> like, mom's like, people are coming in and they're like, they're like, what, I have to pay? I'm like, I know Sam. And she's like, everyone fucking knows Sam. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> put money in the box. Wait, so you your know? mom is the muscle? <laughs> Man, I'm clearly not the muscle. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm the fucking bugle. And like, you know, it's like, there needs... <laughs> Like, there needs to be one, like, I don't know, just, like, no, pick your battles. Um, would I have done it? No, fuck no. I would, it was way too hard. But, like, at the other side of, all, like, all of that stuff that's, like, really scary and, like, is you think is going to be really hard, that's, like, the juicy stuff, you know? That's, like, what you got to do. Like, everyone in this room can, like, relate to that in their own, like, chosen, like, path or whatever that is. It's, like, the stuff that you're really afraid of doing will be the stuff that is, like, kind of makes or breaks you, you know? And it's, like... 
I almost threw the towel in so many times, maybe even like a couple of weeks ago, I was just like, oh God, January, you know, I've got, and you're looking at the calendar ahead and then like you got nothing on or, I mean, it's like, you know, when you're doing something creative, you're always comparing yourself to like other people and I don't know. In, in terms of like, oh, I want to do what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, it, there's a lot of competition, I mean, in in the creative industry like that's that's just the nature of it you know i mean like even like you there's other blogs you know there's like there's other no encore podcast <laughs> <laughs> like there's other people you know it's like you got to find that balance of like you got to you, you actually have to do things for yourself you know you got to like like what you do and then that that's kind of like the secret i don't know is that the secret to it i don't know not that i've like tapped it but it's like yeah you got to love what you do and then i don't know shit conspires around you for it to work Maybe. And, and just in relation to the architecture competition, have, did you have like um, pe- people in the locality like, what are you doing? You can't mess with this venue. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. People in the locality, they just think I'm like drowning in oceans of notions anyway. So it's like, <laughs> they're just like, oh God, really? What no- this now? Like, we don't really want to touch like the actual venue. You know, like the space, at, like how Connolly's as how people know it, like will never change. That's not the plan. Like the plan is like the kind of, there's six outhouses. There's like, there's eight bedrooms upstairs. Like it's a four and a half thousand square foot building. Like it's really large and it's it's really old and it needs updating. But it's like, I, it, it's their plans. Like it's a five year plan. Like I'm, I'm not going to take a sledgehammer to anything like by in the middle of the summer or anything, you know, it's like, it's a, ten, you know, five-year plan, 10-year plan. It's like, you know, I'm always looking outside of Connolly's as well. And I mean, like I play with Talos and that, that's been like, that's been really like rejuvenating for like, you know, Connolly's is in rural Ireland as well. You know, there's like, there's not, there's no bus, there's no train, there's no youth culture down there really. You know, it's like, you have to bring everyone there and, you know, it can be quite stagnant down there. You know, depending on how you look at it, there is no youth culture in West Cork. You know that you're from West Cork. You know, it's like, do you agree? Uh, it's. I, I feel like right now it's got a bit of a music trail. Yeah. Like you have Debarra's in Clonakilty, yeah. you have Connolly's Alep twenty minutes down the road, and then twenty minutes more down yeah. the road you have Levis's Abba yeah. Hob. Yeah. So it seems like that there's good stuff happening at the moment, Absolutely. and it seems like people will travel as well for that mm-hmm. kind of special feeling of a venue. It's why people go to other voices as well. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, it was like a mass exodus of people from Dublin to Dingle. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's not an easy uh, trip to make either. It took us like seven hours, <laughs> but people yeah, still come, people yeah. still come. And that's something yeah. that like is cultivated over time. And You've been there for years and years and years. You started when you were 10, 9, uh, working? Well, um, me and my sisters were born in Dublin uh, and lived there from ages 1 to 5 because we were triplets, so we're all the same age. And um, then moved, mum and dad, so everyone thought they were completely insane because they left pensionable jobs in RTE, had triplets, started an independent production company and moved to Dingle. Um, and it, I think everyone was just like, you're completely bonkers. Um, so we moved down moved out to Dingle and yeah, I went to school there, grew up there. And then Other Voices started when we were uh, nine. And then I was kind of on the bus from 10 because <laughs> I like, couldn't get rid of me. I was just like hanging around. Like, like I think that's really cool, but like mm-hmm. I don't have uh, a 
dad or a mother who are actually like involved in like putting on cool bands and stuff like that when it started were you like were, were you interested in what was happening or was yeah. it like oh there are just tv cameras here that in itself is cool um i was always interested in what was happening like obviously there's now an it that's normalized because that's their job so there a sam would relate to this too like always musicians coming through the house always going away and making whether it's like irish language documentaries about traditional music or Shannon's music or whatever it is and all the way to like filming Van Morrison you know it was just uh, some of that is normalized because it's part of their working life but I was always com- like obsessed with it like I always wanted to be taken out of school so I could go and be taken to like Galway to make a dad was making like a shame lake and whoever it was um, and I loved it like I really I loved all elements of it I loved the tv I think it was, I loved the people, like, because those jobs, anyone who works in the creative industry knows it's a really social job. And I, you, you know, pe- people just talk to you and you, you go all over the place and you meet these people. And um, I was just given a huge amount of respect and a lot of good teaching. And I still think about that now because sometimes I think about working and turning around and seeing a 10 year old who just like won't go away and feel like that could be kind of annoying. But no, but you know, like everyone was really nice. You know, people were really sound and they would take time to be like, this is how a camera works and this is how you lay down tracks and this is how you do X, Y, and Z. So I think about the generosity of those types of people as well. And it's so important, like when you look back to help anyone who's trying to kind of get a leg up, because it's so hard. And I'd be acutely aware of my own privilege as well, because at, at 25, it's very unlikely that most people will be working at, this, at the level that I am. And I know that's because like it's a family business and I, I got a lot of extra time. Um, so I do think about that a lot and a lot of like unpaid internships and people grafting for years to get into those kind of jobs. So that's something I think we try and like once we take on a crew member or we take on someone new, we really try and support them and foster that and surround yourself by good people who want to work in the industry. Um, and I think that's a really big part of it because once you meet good people, you have to hold on to them. Or, like you can't do, we couldn't do other voices without the crew. Like it's you know, they're just, we are kind of like a dysfunctional family. <laughs> how, how big is the crew at the moment? Um, like for Other Voices Dingle? For, oh, um, for Other Voices Dingle? Uh, ish. ish. Um, well, we have a bunch of units now. So we have like the church, then we have the dock unit, banter, Ireland's Edge, After Dark, Music Trail West, and Music Trail. Um, it would easily be 100 crew members. But because there's there's a big TV element of it too. Um, so we do this uh, kind of creativity and technology conference that's been going for three years now that my sister Juno Production managed last year. Um, so we just keep growing more tentacles and hoping that we can keep them keep them all going. But yeah, the crew, it's weird like because I can walk around and not recognize crew members now, which I find kind of strange because I used to love knowing absolutely everyone. And now I look at the call sheets and I don't know who half of the people are. You know, which is weird. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, obviously, the core people you do, but yeah. Um, and so, Philip King, your dad, is mm. kind of, he was the kind of the original face and the original guy behind the idea. Is he mm. kind of taking a much lesser role now? Mm. Or, is uh, he, or is he still kind of front and center and still deciding well, on the ideas? No, he's very, he's still very much front and center. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, he's a bit of a showman. So, he's, uh, uh, no, he's, um, he's still very much front and centre. Like I'm, I'm trying to lift a bit of pressure off him work-wise so he's not on a plane every single day and travelling all the time. 
um, but uh, creatively, and he's kind of the he is kind of the heart and soul of our message and stuff like that, especially at a state level. Or when we're looking for funding, he definitely is the main proponent of that, and he's such an important part of it because he, you know, it's it's his whole life. Like it's been 16, 17 years. So yeah, no, he's very he very he's very much front and center. But um, I would like if he didn't have so much work to do, so I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to help him out a bit. Oh, so he's not like, here, you do this today, Molly. I couldn't be bothered no, doing this. No, very no, he's, um, no, he's a bit of a workaholic. So I suppose when your life and your work, as most musicians or any great people would know, they completely overlap. And especially if a lot of the work you do is also fun. It can be really hard. Like work-life balance is not normal in our house anyway. Like it's just not because we're, we're family and we work together and what we like is what we do and that's a privilege but also can sometimes you'll you'll wake up and be like I haven't stopped talking about work for like a year, a year. yeah like after December I was just completely exhausted but it's I mean it's great 99% of the time was that kind of similar to you when you were growing up like your parents work-life balance it was like all taken up by who are we booking in Connolly's yeah how are I, they getting down I, it was it was literally like growing up in a zoo <laughs> like you'd wake up and like you come down and there'd just be someone you didn't know in like the bed like the bunk bed underneath you do you know what I mean <laughs> like like no like no joke <laughs> you know you walk you couldn't open your door because like the hallway was like full of like people with dreadlocks do you know what I mean <laughs> It was like, honestly, like the smell of Salo Panto or like Paolo Santo, whatever the fuck that is. Like it actually does my head in because it's like, I, I mean, yeah, it was like borderline traumatic. But like, <laughs> I mean, my, my brother still doesn't like just even like going to gigs because it's just like, no, I don't want to like, I don't want to fucking deal with it. My sister is just like, you know, I'm like, oh, Mary, do you want guest list to tell us? And she's like, no. <laughs> I don't like I'll have a coffee with you but like I don't want to go see your fucking band do you know what I mean like I'm just completely obsessed with it and you know there was never any any like there was never any maybe Mary or Josh my brother and sister would take it over you know there was just like they didn't really like growing up in the house do you know what I mean it was like everyone like two people can grow up in the same situation and have polarizing like experiences you know what I mean I mean, it's kind of cool and lucky that I guess like it sounds like everyone in your family really was like into it. Yeah. You know, well, I, mean, I suppose it was uh, it might have been a bit less chaotic as well then because we weren't living in a venue. Yeah. But there was a lot of there was a lot of coming and going. Yeah. So, yeah, you do get used to musicians yeah. in the house and stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, we were pretty much I mean, dad is also in a band. So we did go through phases of getting kind of sick of that because it would kind of come back to haunt you every once in a while. Like we, we went to school when we were like 11 or something and someone was like, your dad was on TV last night. And he was wearing like a pink thing, like a pink, I think it was a jumpsuit and me and Juno and Alan were like, <laughs> just like all color drains from face. You know, when you're like that age. Pink jumpsuit. Yeah, so the story behind this is, which gets, it's even funnier. So we went home and it had been, I don't know, it was some archive show of Scullion back in the day. And um, the jumpsuit he was wearing, well, it was pink, but originally had been white. And he had asked someone he, know, he knew to dye it pink because he thought that was like a better look. Um, so those things, can, they can come back. Nobody to said no. Yeah, no, he, I think he got, he told me once that he got, um, he got voted worst dressed man at like Lisbon Varna Festival. Amazing. 19, oh, I think it was 
thing right now? I don't know. It's fucking amazing. And um, I want and that. And he was like, yeah, I didn't. I, and he was like, I didn't even care. And I was like, why did you care? And he was like, because Emily Harris was voted worst dressed female. Oh, that's epic. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> so he was just like, cool. <laughs> he was like totally into it. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, but with the, but like when you're 11, that's totally not cool. Pink jumpsuits are not cool. But yeah, so. We go through. We went through phases of it. So you know the thing was like, do you want to go see your band? And you're like, oh, yeah, fuck. no, no. <laughs> like I, I love Scullion, but we'd seen them so many times yeah. at that period that I guess I could relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, just maybe we'll do a quick, quick fire round. Um, who's the best act that you've seen in Connolly's absence? Dahi. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like Talos, like class. <laughs> no, um, I don't know, man. We had David O'Doherty last week, and like honestly, it fucking hurt. Like <laughs> seriously, like there was no oxygen in the room from people just like heaving. Like, he's such a funny man. Um, oh, I had a moment with. Um, I'm a massive Leonard Cohen fan, and we had Glenn Hansard did the one year thing, like the one year anniversary. And like he donated every like he donated every penny to charity. Didn't tell anyone. It was like, please don't like. And it's not we're not announcing it. But he gave all of the money to like the Apollo House thing that they were doing for the whole tour. Kept it all a secret. Paid like for this massive crew to come down. Like and had um, it was right after Leonard Cohen's death, and he had Leonard Cohen's twenty five year long collaborator with him, Javier Mas, like this Leonard Cohen's like right hand man basically. So I was like having a fucking joint out the back with like Javier Mas. And he's just like, you live here? He's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. You know, and I was just like, this, now nah, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like this is. I got to quit this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that was like, that was mental. Yeah. I was just like right on. It so was cool. So apart from Dohi out of the voices, I presume what's your favorite gig that you've seen, Molly, down the years? Like from from like the very start, I guess. You've probably seen some amazing stuff. Uh yeah, no. Uh sometimes I have to like sit down and think about it. Um because there are so many moments. Um the st- like I suppose the standout one musically was was Amy Winehouse, um, which was just like the most mind-blowing show like I still look back because we have all the videos and all the audio and stuff made a documentary out of it it is unbelievable just as a quick side like mm. why do you think that that has had such resonance because that does seem to be like performance like yeah Amy Winehouse has almost become synonymous with other voices that performance I, I don't know I, I just think it's one of the best vocal performances I've ever seen like it, it, it just was one of those things where you know when you have a show and just everything went right like and it, it really shouldn't have, like, it was really bad weather. She was really late. It was a nightmare to get her there. She had to be picked up from Cork. And the taxi driver was like, where's your mother? Like, when he picked her up from the airport. Because <laughs> she thought she looked like a teenager. She was like, uh, no, she's not here. Um, uh, and it was an interesting time for her as well, because uh, she had just, she had gone on, like, Ryan Trubadier late, late or something and, be, and been visibly drunk and... Everyone was kind of mumbling about that, but she also had rehab was her big single. So she was being talked about a lot, whether it was good or bad. And she came down, she was so nice. Like I've never seen hair so big in my life. Like it was really massive beehive. She came in, she'd had no dinner. She just like ate a tube of Pringles and walked straight on, like straight through the pews onto the stage. And she was with, um, she just had, she had no percussionist. Like she just had a guitar player and a bass player. And like, it's it was so hard to do that kind of singing like bluesy jazz singing 
um, and she just completely killed it. Like I still have never seen anything like it. And I was, what age were we, like 14 or something at the time. And at the time I was still doing a lot of like stage work and camera work and things. And there was like a little cushion that they used to put for me at the very front before the front pew. Cause I used to like help Joe, my favorite cameraman, um, help with his cables and stuff. So I was literally like here and she was here and it was just phenomenal. And she was such a sound person with it as well. And um, I just think about, I remember going back to school and loads of people were like, was she just hammered? And I was like, no, <laughs> she was brilliant. She was brilliant and she wasn't, she wasn't drinking. And um, yeah, we still talk about it now. And then I remember when she died, um, we were in France and on holidays and our whole family were just like devastated. And um, then we went and looked at the rushes, like looked at this full interview that she'd done with John Kelly, which is a phenomenal interview. And then we decided to put like the bones of a doc together because it was between the, the thing about the interview that was so brilliant was that I think she was only 25 at the time. Um, and she was just like encyclopedic about music. Like, I think, I think her whole identity was kind of stolen away because of the addiction and the paparazzi and all that kind of stuff. And I think whatever, what everyone thought of her just became completely diluted. But she was like a once in a generation singer with this like encyclopedic knowledge of jazz, like Thelonious Monk. And she could, like, she was just, she was brilliant. So I think that's why it resonates with people because it was just a moment in time that we very luckily captured and then you never saw her again like she was like oh I'm gonna make my next album going straight back to work after Christmas like that album never got made so it was just kind of over then so that those are things like Sam would know that too that are so important like you catch these artists and you might never get them again um what are the plans for the year ahead Sam with Connolly's are you like just booking shows now at the moment just yeah I mean there's gonna be I think there's gonna be some stuff outside of Connolly's you know I'd, I'd like for I would like for it um you know, I would like to just be involved in Irish music, just however, however that pans out, you know. Just as yourself or kind of like Connolly's? I don't know. We'll see. I think maybe there's more, there's more to that, more to come. For to, I think 2018 is just going to be a good year for everyone. Like Cork, I'm just so happy to be here. Like even in the city, I love the city. I think there's like good stuff going on. I was saying to, like saying to Molly, I played my first gig in Cork right here, like literally right here. When I like on a, stage in the Randy, yeah, on, no, seriously, right, right here, uh, it, like thirteen years ago or mm. something. So yeah, I just love it, love Cork. Let's do it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, and Molly, what about uh, like your and other voices' plans for the year ahead? Um, so we're already very much in planning mode for for Dingle, um, twenty eighteen. So yeah, we've, we've kind of gone straight bang straight into it. Um, and then we're looking at going to Berlin in June and then loads of other development projects. Um, it's just, at the moment, it's just all trying to get our ducks in a row for Electric Picnic and then Dingle and hopefully Berlin in June. And then some kind of faraway projects in Wales and in Cardigan in Wales and Paris in 2019, hopefully. So it's all it's all just planning. And so you like all go already? Uh, oh yeah, 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 all go. Yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah. I feel like Christmas didn't even happen. It's just like <laughs> straight back into it. But you have to start planning early, as Sam would know, because especially with funding, like if you don't, if you don't secure it in the first half of the year, you're not going to get it, or you will oftentimes won't get it. So obviously, other voices is not a very typical business model that we don't really 
have a business model. We don't sell tickets. Um, so we're very reliant on funding and, and goodwill and a very uh, loyal audience. Is, is that the first thing that happens? Like if you ever meet any like business heads, are mm. they like, just charge for tickets? Yeah, they're just like, well, it's, you know, it's a funny one because I, I think if, if we were living in a different space, like we're not promoters for producers, that's what we always say. And I think if we were operating on a commercial basis, it'd be really difficult to survive. Like as well, we probably would be bought out by the likes of someone like Night Nation. And those promoters make it really, really difficult for you to operate as most independent festivals in Ireland would know. Uh, so I feel like we, like it's it's kind of annoying that we don't sell tickets in a particular way, but I think the minute we start doing that, we kind of lose the soul of the thing completely. Um, so I don't think we're ever going to be raising the money from ticket sales. And also we're trying to make it accessible to people as well. So I, I, whether we start charging like a registration fee in the future, we might have to. Like the problem with Dingle is that our audience is growing every single year, but our funding pool is not. And we have to make sure people are safe and looked after and they're stewards and security and health and safety. And as you grow, you you really have to do that as you well know. Yeah. And you have to put you have to put resources into it. So um we might have to look at something like that going forward. But no, we'll never be we'll never be a commercial festival. It's just not gonna happen. That's great. Well yeah. on that note, um I'm looking forward to going back to Dingle already. Better, to the biggest dance bar in Oh I can't wait. Better better book my accommodation now. You actually should. You really should. <laughs> um thanks a lot for the chats. Uh they'll be around if you want to ask any more questions. And if you want to listen back to the podcast, the point of everything on iTunes or SoundCloud, in case I don't know. If anybody wants to transcribe it for me, you know, you can <laughs> You can do that, but uh, thanks a lot to everybody for listening, and thanks to Sam from Connolly's Alep and Molly King from Other Voices. And stick around for No Encore. <laughs>